It's still real to me, damn it! gentlemen we're back uh on marks with mike's podcast today is monday october Uh, you're going to be hearing it a little later in the week but we're doing it because of ufc 230 it's daniel cormier versus derek my balls was hot uh for the heavyweight title (laughs) and uh among other things it's a pretty good card but uh we're excited to have a special guest uh back once again he was one of, if not maybe our first podcast guest, actually, Stephen Jensen, uh, Mr. Fight Talk uh, underscore on Twitter. And uh, how you doing, Stephen? Thanks for coming back. Dude, thanks for having me on again. I've been doing really well. And it's, uh, it's good to see you guys' stuff with the podcast as well, because uh, it couldn't have been, what, about a, I think I met JT at WrestleMania this past year. So almost right. uh, getting close to a year for you guys. So uh, congratulations, man. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, appreciate it, man. I think we started uh, in March. I say that's like when the uh, Twitter account was born, at least that I check on. So it's been what about seven or eight months or so, and uh, you know, it's like uh, things happen in your personal life. Your life gets in the way sometimes, but we've tried to keep doing it pretty regularly, and we're having fun with it. So yeah, it's good times. Good. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I said, uh, we wanted to have you back on because uh, we have UFC 230 this Saturday. And um, it's a pretty nice card aside from the uh, heavyweight title fight. I mean, I don't want to get too into the undercard, really, just because there's there's some good fights on there. But, I mean, there's so many guys in the UFC nowadays, it's hard to keep track of all of them and watch all their fights and whatnot. You know, so, I mean, I don't know about you, but most of it doesn't really do too much for me except for uh, Jason Mississippi Mean Knight, which was always one of my favorite uh, nicknames, but he's kind of fallen on hard times recently <laughs> in his fight. Yeah, yeah and he's, uh, he's fun to watch. Uh, like Ben Saunders is on the undercard. It's good to see him on there. He was right. the first guy to ever do an Omoplata to get a finish in the UFC's history, if I'm not mistaken. It's always fun to see him. Uh, Brian Kelher's on the undercard. He's a, he's a good up-and-coming fighter. I think he's coming off of a win over uh, um who would, who would you just beat? Oh, he beat Hennon Burrell with a loss to John Lineker. I was thinking about the Burrell win. But yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I also want to mention, just really quickly, before because I'm, I'm with you, though, man. I'd much rather just talk about the, uh, the pay-per-view card for sure. But I think it's worth mentioning that uh, Sajar Eubanks versus Roxanne Montefiore is on the prelims, and Eubanks is, like, public enemy number one with most fans because, you know, she was going to get that title shot against Valentina Shevchenko on this show. And they switched plans back to uh, <clears throat> back to Shevchenko versus uh, Yoni on Jacek for next month. So right. it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Eubanks has basically been calling out Joe Rogan because Rogan said he didn't even know who she was when that fight was announced. And so he wants to get a big win so she can talk to Joe Rogan in the octagon with the live mic. So that could be interesting. But aside from that, yeah, man, I'm with you. Just the pay-per-view card it looks much better than the undercard personally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I got to side with Joe Rogan and, and just the fact that I didn't know who she was until I saw all this backlash on Twitter and whatnot because of the remarks that she made and, and tried to, you know, ha- have a campaign for her title shot and so forth. But, um, yeah, fighting the uh, – what do they call her? Is it the Rainbow Warrior? Right? 
Matafari. Yeah, the the happy warrior. Yeah, <laughs> warrior. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's always just like she was on the Ultimate Fighter a little while back, and I had known of her in Strike Force stuff before. But it's like she just seems way too nice to be any kind of fighter. But um, she's pretty good actually. Yeah, yeah. She's she's fun to watch, and coincidentally enough, uh, the title shot that Matafari got against uh, the former champion Nico Montano, who is no longer the champion because she refused to defend the title essentially. Um, or more or in or injury, depending on how you look at it. But I don't think she was. I'll just flat out say it: like Nico Montano was not like if Nico Montano fought Valentina Shevchenko, Shevchenko would would murder her. You know what I mean? It wouldn't even be close. Yeah. So, I, but know. but Montefiore is the one who took Eubanks' spot. Eubanks was supposed to get that first title shot because of the Ultimate Fighter show, and she couldn't make weight. So that's kind of been a weird roundabout way to get to this fight between Eubanks and Montefiore because. Montefiore basically got the title shot that Eubanks uh, still has yet to get. <laughs> yeah, it's a very weird uh, set of circumstances they have going on there for that belt. But um, yeah, and I'm with you about Ben Saunders too. He's uh, he's one of Eddie Bravo's guys, if I'm not mistaken, right? And that's uh, he gets gets into all the high end submissions and stuff like that. Um, fighting former Bellator champion, actually, wasn't he the first 170 pound Bellator champion, Lyman Good? Uh, I believe so, actually. It's been a while. It's been a while now that, that, that uh, let's see, I can look it up actually real quick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a super long time ago, but uh, I just remember yeah. seeing that guy on Spike and being like, geez, he looks like a superhero. But uh, once he fought some tougher guys in the UFC, he got exposed a little bit, you know? Yeah, and this was back, yeah, I'm looking at it right now, 2009, the, uh, the first season of the welterweight, he was the first welterweight tournament champion. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. He was, he lost the tournament final to final to Ben, ben Asper, and that actually makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, but yeah, man, jeez, uh, that's already been 10 years ago, almost. That's crazy, right? Yeah, I mean, coming up on another thing that um, I was going to mention in the main card, but we, we might as well just get to it, was um, the first fight in the main card of the pay-per-view is Derek Brunson versus Israel Adesanya. Am I saying his name right? I hope so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you uh, Cool. I thought so. Yeah, I have a buddy at work who is a huge fan of this guy, so he's been pumping him up to me. But um, going to what you were saying, it's already been 10 years ago. Whenever I see Derek Brunson, for all his accomplishments, I always think of him getting knocked out by Jacare in Strike Force. And Jacare is also on the card, and he actually, his last fight was his second knockout of Derek Brunson, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I was thinking, man, when was that last fight? I know it was in Strike Force. That was 2012. So that was already like six plus years ago now. It's crazy. That is crazy. Yeah, these guys have been at it for a long time. And Jacare has been, uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about it. Jacare has been one of my one of my favorite guys to watch for a long time now. So it's, it's, it's actually, you know, and once again, I know we'll talk about it, but I, I actually like the, uh, the Jacare versus Weidman fight better than the Weidman versus Rockhold rematch personally. So I think that was actually a slight upgrade to the card when that got changed. Absolutely. I'm with you. I, I was actually going to say the same thing when we got to it and everything. So I'm sure we'll get into that. But um, yeah, I mean, just the um, the whole card is actually, you know, you look at it and it's like just the, the heavyweight title you have, uh, as we'll get to as well, Luke Rockhold falling out of what was going to be the rematch uh, versus Chris Weidman. But, you know, as you said, I mean, the fight between Weidman and Jacare is a fight that I've wanted to see for years. So, and we've never seen it before, whereas we have seen Rockhold and Weidman fight and it was eh, kind of one-sided, you know? So, and, and I kind of thought again that it might be, but um, would I have liked to seen this fight three or four years ago? Yeah, but at least we're getting to see it. So it's fine with me. 
But just to get to the actual, uh, the first fight on the card, though, Brunson versus Adesanya. Um, Derek Brunson's last fight was the knockout loss to Jacare. Just let me double check that just to be sure. But uh, And Adesanya is an undefeated fighter. He's 14-0 and 0 in the UFC and, and mixed martial arts as a whole. And also, he's 32-0, and 0, I read in his Wikipedia, as a kickboxer. So this guy's never lost in combat sports. And uh, I feel like Derek Brunson might be in for a hurt. I don't know about you, Stephen. He could. I mean, the way, the way that I'm looking at it, you know, it, it's tough for me. It really depends, right? Like, like with Adesanya, it, like, his level of competition is what is – the big question for me going into this fight because like he, he beat Brad Tavares recently. And that's, I mean, Tavares is a very, very good fighter. But mm-hmm. Derek Brunson has, you know, he's beaten Leota Machida. He's beaten Dan Kelly. He's beaten Uriah Hall. He's beaten Ed Herman back when Ed Herman was, you know, a little more formidable, even though he's still a fun fighter to watch. Lorenz Larkin. I mean, even though he has losses to Jacare, Robert Whitaker, Anderson Silva, Yoel Romero, those guys, I mean, you've been in the octagon with, you know, the best of the best and has performance in the night and fight of the night, you know, in those fights against big names. So, like, I'm actually going to take Brunson in this one because I think it's a pretty it's a pretty uh, big jump in competition, in my opinion, for Adesanya. And Adesanya is mainly a stand-up fighter that hasn't really had to deal with grappling a whole lot yet. And Brunson is more of a stand-up guy himself, but I think if he gets in any trouble – he can just take Adesanya down, and we don't really know what he looks like. Well, we, we do know what he looks like on the ground, and he hasn't looked that good on the ground, the little bit that he's been on the ground, Adesanya. So right. I'm going to take Brunson based on uh, – essentially based on experience in this one. Sure, yeah. And, I mean, and to your point, um, as I said, he's 14-0 and now uh, with 12 knockouts, but his last two fights, as his level of competition has risen in the UFC, have both been his only decisions. So, you know, stepping up again, it's, it's an even harder guy faced uh the best of the best like you said so uh could be a very good point yeah yeah we'll see what happens man it's a good fight though i, I think this is a good uh a good matchup for them to put together because if adesanya wins then that you know that does put him in that next kind of tier of contenders like i, I like that kind of stuff too it's similar when uh probably a good example i mean a similar example maybe a little more extreme a little more on the line but like when, uh, like when Kevin Lee got a title shot against, uh, against uh, Tony Ferguson for that interim title. Like Kevin Lee, I, I was unsure about. I was like, I don't know if this guy. He's going from like okay fighters to like the best fighters. It's a pretty big jump. Same time right. with like Darren Till, you know, and you know, so you, you get like a really mixed bag of like going from mid-range guys to like the upper-level guys. And you kind of need those gatekeeper type dudes like Derek Brunson there to play this role of like, you know, if you lose to me, you're still kind of on like the mid card. But if you beat me, you might start getting some like some pretty big fights in the division. So I think this fight makes a lot of sense for both guys. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I was going to hesitate to put the gatekeeper label on him, but, you know, if you can get past Derek Brunson, then you can, you know, definitely at least belong in there with the top level guys. And if you can't get past him, then you don't belong there, you know? Yeah. Well, and and, I mean, if Brunson beats Adesanya, he's, you know, he's the one stopping the hype train and makes Brunson look good, too, and keeps him in that mix also. So, I mean, it's a big win for him if he gets his wall as well. So it really makes a lot of sense for both guys for sure. Right, right. And one more thing about Adesanya, since you're 
talking about his level of, uh, of competition he's faced, uh, I did notice when I was looking at his record, in his 10th fight, uh, he knocked out one Melvin Gillard. And I thought, why? Why did Melvin Gillard fight him? First of all, it's a terrible idea. You know, I mean, it was at, it was at middleweight, but Melvin Gillard, his natural body weight is about 185. And Adesanya is 6'4", I saw. So, I mean, he's got to be just dwarfing him in that fight. So, makes sense that uh, he would get knocked out. So, yeah. yeah. Melvin Gillard's a wreck also. Like, that guy, I'm pretty sure he's, like, either in jail right now or, like, about to be. He's, like, dealing with all these legal issues. I Like, he's always been a really odd dude. So, like... Right. And his fighting career was so weird because he came out of the gate knocking everybody out, looking like, you know, like a small Mike Tyson and then just fell off completely. So, uh, yeah, shout-out to Melvin Gillard, man. Uh, <laughs> bro. Pull it together, brother. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he had a ton of natural talent. I mean, he looks like uh, like what you would expect, like an NFL running back to look like or something. But uh, he just uh, always been a head case. So uh, I don't know, you know, and mental health issues and stuff. Who knows? I, I hope uh, I hope he pulls it together one day. We'll see. Sure, sure. So moving on to the next fight, it's another middleweight affair. It's actually the main card is actually all middleweight fights except for the heavyweight uh, championships. So you have uh, Carl Roberson of uh, Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series fame uh, versus Mr. Jack Marshman. Uh, both of these guys are coming off losses to tough Brazilians in Brazil by submission. So that's an interesting factoid for you. Um, also, I knew I had seen Jack Marshman fight at least once or twice, and I couldn't remember where. And as I looked down his record, it would be spectacular spinning wheel kick knockout from Tiago Santos uh, when he fought him. So, um, two middleweights uh, trying to be up and coming guys, both really good at getting murdered by Brazilians. So uh, what do you have on this one, Steven? Honestly, it's two guys I don't know a whole lot about. Uh, about pretty much what you just broke down is the extent of like what you could really say about either of these guys. They haven't been in the UFC for too long. Uh, both coming off losses, like you said. As far as it goes... You know, I think I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Roberson. Roberson, uh, you know, he coming. I don't know. I, I he says here he's a light heavyweight before, so he's he's probably a fairly big middleweight. And I do not know what the case was for uh, for Marshman. Let me see if he. Uh, yeah, I mean, Roberson's only loss was in his last fight. You know, to it's as a tough guy in Brazil, that's a tough place to fight. You know? I mean, it's he's six and one, and um, Marshman is twenty-two and seven. His last loss coming against Antonio Shoeface Carlos Jr. again in Brazil. So, yeah, I like watching him fight. By the way, I like Carlos Jr. a lot. Um, I do too. He's like he's dirty, and I kind of enjoy him. You know? Yeah, I'm gonna take Roberson, Robertson, however you say it, just based on kind of the record and and just a very little bit that I know about the two guys. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Fair enough. Yeah, I it, to me it's like a. Uh, pick them sort of thing, but I would just pick Roberson as well based on he's only got one loss and he's, you know, a little younger up. And guy. So, yeah. The third fight on the card is uh, former World Series of Fighting concurrent middleweight and light heavyweight champion David Branch versus Jared I'm not really sure if he's got the French pronunciation on it, but uh, I'm going to go with it because it sounds nice. Um, speaking of former light heavyweights, uh, Kanye is also a former 205er, so what do you got about this one, Stephen? 
I believe it's pronounced Cannoneer, but I'm pretty sure it's fine either way. Um, I'm going to take David Branch, though. Like, I feel, I definitely feel for Branch also because, you know, he fought um, Luke Rockhold and looked really, really good at the start. Like, he, came, he, he dropped Rockhold immediately and looked like he might get a quick finish. Mm-hmm. You know, Rockhold turned it around, wound up winning the fight in the second round. But, um, you know, Branch being a former WSOF champion, you know, he, he went on a long, a long run of a of a win streak. You know, coming into the UFC, I I really think he's still a really, really good fighter that has a lot to, to you know show. And he's coming off of a win over Tiago Santos, which is a really nice performance. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, I think, but the thing with David Branch, though, is, like, he was supposed to fight Jacare on this show, and I think before that, it was rumored that he was going to fight Joel Romero, so it's one of those things where, like, David Branch, I feel bad for him because, like, he's, he's honestly at a level, and especially with, like, his resume, where I want to see him fighting Joel Romero and Jacare. Like, I want to see him fighting, like, the best of the best and see where he really is and see if we can maybe get kind of a new contender at middleweight out of David Branch. But because of circumstances that he can't control at all, his big-name opponents keep having to drop off and he keeps getting replacements. Like, Jerry Cannonier, you know, props to him for accepting this fight on short notice, and he has a lot to gain by beating Branch, but I don't see it happening. I think that uh, this is a really good matchup for David Branch uh, from the perspective of, you know, I, I think this is a good way to – get him a big win on a big show in Madison Square Garden and hopefully raise his namesake, name value rather, uh, a little bit in the UFC with this one. Right, right. I mean, and as you said, I mean, he lost to Luke Rockhold, but it's like no shame in that. The guy's a massive middleweight, former champion and whatnot, and uh, knocks out Tiago Santos in his last fight, which in the first round, two minutes and 30 seconds was all it took him. I think some people might have found that surprising of a striker as Santos is but people forget uh, David Branch has very good boxing very heavy hands uh, especially at middleweight you know I mean he was the the 205 champion in world series of fighting but not a lot of guys there really at 205 he's not going to win it at uh, at the UFC level but um, all that aside I mean world series of fighting he was one of those guys where there was a handful of fighters like um, Anthony Johnson and like uh, Justin Gaethje kind of made his way to the UFC because of the world series of fighting um, World Series of Fighting revitalized his career and got him back and, and had UFC eyes on him again. So I agree. I think that um, he's top five or six middleweight in the UFC. I'd, I'd like to see him in there against those top guys. And and it is tough because uh, this is the first fight on the card that was affected by the, the Luke Rockhold injury, the, the pullout and whatnot, which we'll get to shortly. But um, I'm going to also go with uh, David Branch in this one for sure. I mean, he's uh, – he's one of the best guys going right now and can can air can and yay put the french on it doesn't matter um is i think just not quite at that level and we're gonna see so moving on to the uh co-main event of the night it was gonna be chris weidman versus luke rockhold too as we, as i said uh now it's luke rock or <laughs> chris weidman rather versus the alligator Jacare Ronaldo Souza, um, which, as you as you said, uh, I'm very excited. This fight's actually happening, you know. And I, I didn't think that Weidman was going to have a lot for Rockhold in the rematch if if he was fully healthy and whatnot. I think uh, Weidman has started to age, you know, kind of poorly. And um, actually, I was just watching. If you caught this week, they had um, his first fight, Anderson Silva, on the UFC YouTube channel. 
And I just watched it again because I figured what the hell, you know, and um, just looking at him, I'm going, man, he was in some really good shape for that fight. And he just looked ready to go in a way that I haven't seen him in at least a couple years, you know, so I, I don't think he's quite at the level he was, um, nor is Jacare, who I'm on board with you again, that uh, he was one of my still is one of my favorite fighters. But I think as far as him being like a top, top guy and, you know, reigning champion sort of guy that that's probably him by, but um, still excited for this fight. Uh, what, what do you see going on in this one, Steve? Well, to, to be kind of your last point, the good news for both of these guys is that, you know, the way that the UFC works in today's you know day and age, like the name value is more important than their actual skill set. So like the winner of this fight could very well get a title shot because, you know, regardless of if they actually are in their, you know, physical you know, fighting prime, which I agree that they're both kind of on the downslide, but not like a, like a serious downslide, but, you know, they've both reached the, the best level that they're going to hit, and it's, you know, kind of all downhill from here, but they can still have a lot of bright moments. Yep. Think yep. about, like, you know, even especially the middleweight division, someone like Michael Bisbing. I never in a million years thought that Michael Bisbing was going to actually win the UFC championship. But right. of his name value and the circumstances – you know, he got a title shot on, on late notice and took advantage of it and, you know, shocked the world. I mean, I actually chose him to beat Luke Rockhold on short notice because I was just like, the stars are aligning perfectly for this guy. <laughs> but like, and, and I like Michael Bisbing. Like, it isn't like I'm one of those haters that never wanted to see him win the belt. Like, I was really happy for him. But the only reason I bring that up is because, you know, with like Chris Weidman and Jacare, you know, he, like, I guess kind of my, my point is that this could very well – I'm not saying it is a number one contender, a number one contender fight, but it, it could very well be one, just depending on how the the cards all kind of fall in the middleweight division in, in the near future. So, as far as the fight goes, though, man, like I love this stylistic matchup because Weidman and Jacare, in my opinion, have very similar um, striking, not necessarily the same striking skill set, but like the same level of striking. They do some things a bit differently, but. They can stand in front of each other, I think, and really trade and be interesting. But what's even more interesting is that Weidman is a great wrestler and Jacare is a great submission artist off of his back. So, you know, if this fight goes to the ground, we can actually see, you know, one of the best wrestlers in the world trying to out-wrestle one of the best jiu-jitsu guys in the world who's going to be trying to actually work submissions. So I love that aspect of it, um, I've said it a thousand times on, on my own podcast, but I'll, I'll say it here. Like, this is one of those fights where I really wish the UFC had either longer rounds or no rounds at all because that these are the kind of fights that cater to that kind of style. Like, like when Pride had the 10-minute first round, like, this is perfect for something like that because these with this kind of skill set, like, it's a huge disadvantage, in my opinion, to be a high-level jiu-jitsu expert in the UFC in comparison to a high-level wrestler because you just don't have the kind of time to work off your back like, like you would want to have having those kind of skills. Like, well, I think it's going to be interesting because Weidman, I think, is going to be able to take him down. And I think Jacare is going to do a really good job of working submissions, but there's just not going to be enough time. The five minutes just isn't going to be enough time for him to do what he needs to do. So as far as the prediction goes um, – I'm actually going to take Jacare. Like, I think he's going to figure out a way to get it done, whether it's slipping in a, 
I, let me put it this way. I think Joffrey is going to need to hurt Weidman on the feet and then capitalize with a submission versus Weidman taking him down and him working a submission. I think it's going to be something where Joffrey catches him maybe kind of late into the fight, maybe with like a, like a slick uppercut or something like that, and then you know takes his back as fast as possible and works a submission. Um, but either way, I, I think it's a really, really good matchup. And uh, I'm happy that we're seeing it finally because it's something that probably should have happened a while back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you made a great point, too, about them going around and uh, that long, you know, pride style or, or early UFC where there was no breaks and whatnot, like with Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock, Dan Severn, all those guys, um, it would really suit them. And I'm sure, as as I heard, um, you probably did, too, when, like, Weidman was coming up, even before he got title shot or anything, people would talk about how he was just like a prodigy in terms of grappling and jujitsu and whatnot, even when he was a, a blue belt he would be fighting top level guys grappling with them like Vinny Magalesh and like hanging with them, you know, getting submitted, but being able to do stuff just because he had such a good uh, wrestling pedigree and he was just very strong for the weight class and, and whatnot. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if they get into some scrambles on the ground, you know, how detailed it'll get or how, how well Weidman can actually hang in with the guy in Jacare who's between him and Damian Maya basically regarded as uh, the best, um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner that's ever fought in the UFC, I would say. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. Yeah, so that's pretty exciting and like something that I think um, people who are fans of the sport who have watched these guys come up and, and all their careers progress and always wanted to see them fight. If we get an opportunity like that, um, it could be really exciting to see how it plays out. Um, but as far as how the fight will actually go, I think what's more likely is that um, I, I think Weidman has slowed down a little bit, you know, and he was never like a never like a fantastic striker, but he was pretty good, you know, for a while. He could he could hang with guys that were higher level strikers than him and not get hurt. But I think at this point, Jacare has probably got more left in terms of like quickness on the feet and uh, more power overall. So I think it is pretty possible that he catches him with a big shot on the feet and is able to get him on the ground, get on top of him, and either finish the fight with strikes or catch a submission because he has him hurt, you know, which will obviously make that easier and soften him up and whatnot. But um, we'll see. Like you said, just um, kind of a – I don't want to call it a dream fight, but, I mean, it, two guys that were coming up at the same time, like basically when Anderson Silva was reigning over the middleweight division, you know, back in the day, and, and people saw these two guys and were like, these are two guys that legit have a shot to be, you know, the next champion and dethrone him and be the best of the best for the next five to 10 years. So like you said, it's unfortunate. We're not seeing it back in like 2013 or 14 when they were really like at their very peak, but it should be exciting to see how it unfolds here. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also I, I want to mention like, you know, I think a big part of it too, you kind of, you kind of alluded to it, but, some of these guys, like for Chris Weidman, for instance, like the big motivation for him and the entire middleweight division for like around a decade was, you know, the big the big carrot dangled in front of them was Anderson Silva. Like that was like the big motivation was like, you know, like everyone wants to win the world title. Like don't get me wrong, it's a huge deal to become the champion, but it was a way bigger deal to be the first person to beat Anderson Silva in the UFC. Like that was a humongous thing, and that's why I think we saw. Like Chris Weidman, for instance, I think he dedicated his career from like the time he started MMA and was at the same weight as as Anderson. You know, I think he was looking at this as like, that's my goal is to beat this guy. And he went out there and he did it twice. And then it's like, where do you go from here? You know, so right. I, 
that's part of it too, man. Like you see some of these guys when they fought Anderson, and then like after they fought Anderson, you see like a, a steep decline in their skill set and kind of their motivation. I honestly think it has a lot to do with that. Oh yeah, I mean when Anderson was the champion, uh, especially the last few years, uh, he started to score these spectacular knockouts, and it was you know almost as if he lived in the Matrix or something like that. And he had this weird mystique about him where a lot of guys were beaten before they got in the cage, you know. And I mean. Like you were alluding to, is it like everybody wants to be the champion, but as far as how big of fame you can get or how big a deal your fight is going to be when you get there, who the champion is matters, you know? So, I mean, look uh, look at what happened with uh, Demetrius Johnson. He was probably the most dominant champion in UFC history with all his title defenses, and now he's going to be in one FC because we want Ben Ash dead. So, uh, it's, uh, it's great, by the way. I absolutely love it. I think that was genius on everybody's part, that trade. I think everybody wins in that one. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and, and like Askren's at a point where he was either going to come and do this finally or just hang him up because there's nothing left for him to do anywhere else, you know? So Dude, he's the best. He's the best. Like, I love Ben Askren's trash talk on Twitter. Like, it's amazing what he's doing right now. Like, he's calling out everybody in the UFC and I could not be happier because if there's one person who could be Nurmagomedov would have serious issues with, it's Ben Askren. And, you know, that's something I really want to see. If they can do it at 165 pounds, that's, that's how they need to do it, I think. But I'm yeah. telling you guys, if, if anyone's listening to this show and has not watched Ben Askren fight, like, he's Khabib's worst nightmare stylistically. So I, I, I'm not saying he would beat Khabib. I'd actually choose Khabib to win if I had to pick. But it's stylistically the best match in the world possible for Khabib. And I really, really want to see it. That would be really interesting. And I mean, if we could finally get um, him versus George St. Pierre, I would love to see what that looks like as well. Yeah. For, sure. for sure. That's another great fight. It's saying along the same uh, line of thinking, you know, uh, you know, two wrestlers, like who's the best wrestler in the world? Like right. I would suppose to, uh, well, there's like a couple other options I've heard. Like, you know, obviously you can do GSP and Askren, which is, you know, I'd even do, you know, the winner of, the, of that fight's Khabib if they want to do that. Um, and then there's also, of course, um, a fight I really want to see, too, would be Ben Askren and Colby Covington. Because the yeah. trash talk for that, just leading up to it. And then, then I think Askren would just wipe the floor with him. And it'd just be so interesting to watch it all unfold. But um, anyway, I know we're off topic from the pay-per-view, but I, dude, I love, love, love Ben Askren coming to the UFC and it's a really good move for Demetrius Johnson to go over to one because the UFC is getting rid of that uh, men's flyweight division for sure. So, like, he got out at the right time. Yeah, it definitely seems that they're going that direction. Uh, I don't know. Is that official yet, or are they just – Not official yet, but it's coming for sure. Cejudo's yeah. going to probably fight uh, TJ Dillashaw, and the division just going to disappear. So, and also the thing is with one championship, you know, Matt Hume, Demetrius Johnson's head coach, is a part owner. So they're going to be bringing over, they're going to probably bring over all the 125ers that matter. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we started seeing, you know, Joseph Benavides. Basically, anybody who doesn't want to move to 135, I think is going to wind up over at one if they have any name value at all. Um, so, yeah, keep your eyes out for that one because. I think that's what's gonna that's what's gonna kind of migrate to is I think one FC is gonna become similar to how like the WEC was seen back in the day where they yeah. had lighter weights that weren't included in the UFC. I think that's what one's gonna start looking like. 
and then uh, the UFC will continue to get, you know, the, the heavier fighters that they think can, you know, sell more pay-per-view. Because that's the big issue, too, is Demetrius Johnson, arguably the best fighter in history, but couldn't sell pay-per-view to save his life. And the UFC is in the pay-per-view business. So, uh, you know, you can be the best fighter in the world, but if people don't, you know, stay in the seats during your fights or buy the pay-per-views when you're fighting, uh, you have very little value to, to the company, as great as a fighter as you might be. So uh, very, very interesting times. For sure. I mean, and that's kind of why I was saying that about, like, the time that uh, Weidman and Jacare were coming up in the UFC. There was only really, like, two champions that you could look for have a big money fight, and that was either Anderson Silva or George Pierre. So, you know, it's they uh, obviously everybody looks to get the big money fight. Uh, as you said, uh, Demetrius Johnson, you know, was the, probably the best UFC champion of all time if we're like really looking at it, you know, uh, in terms of uh, defenses and length and just uh, being on top. I mean, the guy is does everything well, but um, anyways, want to move on from that and just get back to the card. Um, Real quick before we moved on from the co-main event, um, as you touched on Bisping, um, I just wanted to say about him too. I was never like a big fan of him because I always like, I get annoyed when guys talk like they're better than, than I know they are. And I always thought Bisping was like one of those guys, like he was a top 10 or so guy, but whenever he's like a top five guy, he would lose like every time, you know? But um, when he finally got that opportunity against Rockhold, I was really happy for him and I've always respected his persistence. You know, whenever he would lose a big fight, he would make no excuses and, and come right back and, you know, he'd win two, three, four more and get another shot at a big fight. And just, if he would lose that one, it was the same mission. You'd just keep going. So it was, uh, his career was definitely like a true fighter through and through. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I mean, he lost like, probably four or five number one contender fights in his career. Like it was one of those things where like he was one fight away from the title so many times, but could never get the job done. And I, I know, and he's somebody that I really had to warm up to over the years as well. Like, yeah. I fought Dan Henderson at UFC 100. I was so happy to see him, you know, get his mouth shut. Like okay. I, that moment wasn't, Actually, on my Twitch channel, if anyone wants to ever check it out, twitch.tv slash fighttalk underscore, if you follow the channel, you actually a GIF of Dan Henderson hitting the H-bomb and the, the flying falcon punch on Michael Bisping pops up on the screen. Anybody who follows my channel. I, one of my favorite moments in UFC history, but the persistence, like you mentioned, is what really made me a fan of Michael Bisping was that he just kept coming back. And when he beat Anderson Silva, I thought that was a humongous moment for him and he kept the momentum going and, you know, got the title. So I'm with you, man. I, uh, props to Michael Bisbing, but yeah, he, he's somebody I didn't like either for a long time, but eventually I did warm up to him a lot. Yeah. I mean, he definitely uh, made me respect him and, and then root for him in certain ways. And, you know, and just like we were saying, I mean, whether Anderson was the champion or not, when he beat him, Anderson was the guy for the prime of Michael Bisping's career. So, have a victory over him whether he's the champ or not is still huge for him but um finally got that opportunity against Rockhold and, and cashed it in and uh I don't know say what you want about his fight against Dan Henderson afterwards I actually thought Henderson would should have won that fight but um whatever uh and then before we moved on to the main event I just wanted to touch on Luke Rockhold's injuries um it says he pulled out due to multiple injuries um Luke Rockhold is no stranger to 
history. He's been pulled out of many fights before. Do you know exactly what it is um, or, or the number of injuries and how long he'll be out? Yeah, give me just a second. I actually wrote a, uh article about it for MMAonPoint.com. I'm going to mm. pull this up because I, I, I honestly can't remember what uh what the injuries were. I remember typing them up, though. Let me see if I can find them real quick. Okay. There they are. Um, Rockhold had a left shin sprain, a sprained right knee, and a broken nose coming into – like basically what I had heard about his training camp is that, well, so essentially I think a doctor screwed up. Like they, they did some sort of surgery on his shin. One of those, you know, the shins that I was just mentioning uh-huh. and uh, the doctor essentially screwed up and did it too, like did the surgery too close to his shin bone. So he couldn't even train like with that leg leading up to this fight either. Like he said that he was just kind of trying to ignore it and fight through it, but he couldn't throw any leg kicks. He couldn't get kicked in the leg. Like, yeah, he couldn't do anything. Um, so that that's what the injuries were. Uh, just to paraphrase there. Oh, okay, yeah, because I just want to know because uh, as we were saying, the the winner of this fight could get a title shot, especially depending on if Rockhold is out for an extended amount of time or has to have surgery or anything like that. So, because you would think that probably if Rockhold beat Weidman in the rematch, they'd probably just give him another title shot. So we'll see. But um, yeah, probably, probably. It, the middleweight's a weird weight class because, you know, the next title fight is like Kelvin Gastelum versus Robert Whitaker. So, you know, that one can go a lot of ways too. I mean, Gastelum's wrestling, I mean, Whitaker's, you know, Whitaker just defeated Romero and it was a really close fight, but I mean, Gastelum's wrestling is going to be a really big problem, I think, for Whitaker. So like, I don't know, man, there's a very, odd mix of fighters at the top of uh, the middleweight division right now. And some of them that I don't know, like how, how long they're going to be there either. Like, like your Romero, it's like light heavyweight screams at your Romero. Like, I don't know why he continues to cut the middleweight. Like, so, you know, but anyway, yeah, who knows? Like Rockwell could have very well gotten a title shot based off of his, uh, his name value and, you know, a big win on this show. I think you're right, man. I didn't even know that uh, Gastelum was getting the next title shot, but I, I looked it up while you were talking, and sure enough, he's uh, he's going to be coaching the Ultimate Fighter, which is, you know, of course, everybody loves that uh, and watches all the time uh, <laughs> against yeah. Robert Whitaker, and he'll get a middleweight title shot um, and says in early 2019, which is crazy because uh, uh, not Luke Rockhold, but Chris Weidman, actually, his last victory is against Kelvin Gastelum, so that's super weird that he's getting the next shot but anyways um that's a lot of middleweight talk the entire card as i said was uh, middleweights except for the main event so let's just uh, go ahead and move on to it here um it is of course the stupendous uh, only defeated by roided up john jones uh and i don't know if it would matter or not whether he's on steroids but only lost to the goat uh, john jones the double champ, as he calls himself now, um, Daniel Cormier versus Derek Lewis um, on a short, pretty short notice fight, really. I mean, Derek Lewis only fought uh, about a month ago, you know, and here he is uh, coming up on a, his first heavyweight title shot. And honestly, Derek Lewis is, um, I always enjoyed him. I mean, it's hard not to, especially the more his personalities come out. That's obviously the biggest reason I think he's getting this shot. But um, I, I honestly never thought I would see him fight for the title. But here we are. Um, what do you make of this, Stephen? Well, it's very circumstantial, like from a lot of senses. Like, 
been Daniel Cormier has publicly said this. So like, I'm not putting words in his mouth or like even assuming anything like Daniel Cormier straight up said, like, I would not fight Stipe Miocic on this kind of short notice. Right. Bill said, I, I will fight Derek Lewis though. Because, <laughs> you know, now Lewis has the knockout power to take on anybody. Like if he lands, um, I can't remember what they were calling calling it on Fox. I think they were calling it like the if bomb or something. Like if he hits you, you get knocked out. I, I think was like what they were trying to call it. But that being said, like like Daniel Cormier should have no problem in this fight. Like Cormier could knock out Lewis. Cormier could out wrestle Lewis, which is probably more likely that he just takes him down. But um, what's interesting is Cormier has a hand injury, so like it's going to be interesting to see you know, how healed his hand is because just a few days before he accepted this fight with Lewis, he was telling Ariel Hawani on ESPN, like, my hand's too hurt to fight anytime really soon. Like, he was targeting January against Brock Lesnar. Mm. And within, like, a few days, it was being announced that he was fighting Derek Lewis. And the UFC has got to be, I mean, there's got to be so ecstatic that Derek Lewis won that fight against Alexander Volkov with, like, 10 seconds left because Volkov was going to win that fight on, on the scorecard. He was definitely ahead. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. I jumped and, out of my seat when he landed the knockout. I was like, whoa! I did not see it coming, you know? But, well, and had, had Lewis not knocked him out with 10 seconds left, the main event of this show could very well still be Sajar Eubanks and Valentina Kachenko because yeah. if Lewis, if that fight goes to decision, Volkov wins, Volkov, I would imagine, would have some sort of medical suspension because, like, you know, like, I, I, you know, he took some damage during the fight, even though he was going to win. And I don't think you'd be able to get Daniel Cormier on this show. Like, I think Derek Lewis is the only guy in that mix that he would have fought on short notice like this. So, um, well, I'm glad we're seeing it because I'm glad we get to see Daniel Cormier. I'm glad Derek Lewis is getting a shot. But even Derek Lewis himself has said, you know, I'm only taking this title shot because I don't know if I'll ever get one again. Like he doesn't feel like he deserves it. He doesn't feel <laughs> for it. Um, but he doesn't, he can't pass it up either. And, yeah. You know, with Daniel Cormier, you know, his only loss is being to John Jones, who is always going to have kind of that question mark next to his name. I, I feel bad for Daniel Cormier in the sense that if John Jones didn't exist, we'd be talking about Daniel Cormier as the best pound for pound fighter of all time. And I don't think it would even be close. Like, oh, you yeah. guys like George St. Pierre in the mix and Anderson Silva and, you know, all the big question about John Jones, of course. But if John Jones did not exist at all, like, Daniel Cormier is the best fighter of all time. And I really, 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 really want to see Cormier and John Jones at heavyweight. And I really hope we get to see that when Jones returns. Um, that all being said, as far as a prediction for this fight, I mean, unless, Dan unless Derek Lewis lands, you know, basically a – I don't want to say a lucky punch because it wouldn't be lucky, but, you know, if he lands the right punch, he could get this done. But I think Daniel Cormier is going to go in there, and it's not it's going to be pretty one-sided, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Daniel Cormier, the reason he took this fight is I think he could probably win it in his sleep, you know. I mean, I, whether his hand is hurt or not, I think he could just go in, close the distance on uh, Lewis, get a takedown and probably just out grapple him really quickly and get a submission if he wants to. I mean, I would think that he's probably just going to get on his back at some point and get a, a rear naked choke is the, the most likely uh, submission or kind of anything he wants. Cause I mean, if you've seen 
Derek Lewis fight before, you know that he he doesn't really have a jujitsu game. He just tries to like power out of things, and that's not going to work <laughs> at all. Have a gas tank either. Like, I mean, it's going to be a big problem against somebody like Daniel Cormier, who has all the all the gas in the world. Like that guy can right. go five rounds, no problem. Derek Lewis starts gassing halfway through the first round, he, and all and all he does is he just circles backwards and just tries to land a power punch. Like there's right. no, I mean, it's it's super predictable. So like. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you, though, man. Like, I think that that's probably exactly what's going to happen is Cormier is going to close the distance, take him down, take his back, and, and choke him out. And I think it probably happens within the first first or second round, probably. Yeah, and I mean, to what you said, exactly. Like, Cormier could just, if he wants to, just coast through a round or two and just make him really tired so that, like, the second or third round, he can just completely have his way, you know, and get, like, an easy submission on an exhausted Derek Lewis. But uh, I don't know. I mean... I'm not trying to hate on Derek Lewis or anything, but, you know, he's he's got a good sense of who he is and reality and all that stuff, and he gets it as well, you know. And if it was anybody else, I mean, that was one of the things I was thinking before is, like, is, is Alexander Volkov going to be getting a title shot against Cormier if he had won that fight? I, I really doubt that he ever got it, you know, if he, if he had won. But um, I kind of think, I mean, like I said, I'm not hating on Derek Lewis. I love Derek Lewis. He's hilarious and he's provided some really entertaining knockouts and fights in his UFC career. And I kind of think this is happening for a number of reasons. One of them is that this is a little bit of a thank you to Derek Lewis as well, just because I looked at his uh, career. He's had, this will be actually be his 16th fight, but he he's had in five years now. So, I mean, this guy has been super active on a bunch of cards fighting whenever the UFC asks him. And I mean, finally he gets that huge knockout. He's real big on social media. So why not capitalize, you know I mean? And also um, I think that the other reason they're going to go ahead and rush it to him is that man's got serious back problems and I don't think he's going to fight too much longer. So, I mean, you might as well give it to him now while he's still capable, you know? Yeah. Those are all great points. Like he's been incredibly active, especially for a heavyweight fighter. Like you, you don't see guys take that many I guarantee you he has the most fights of any heavyweight fighter in that time span. And he, he probably he probably close to doubles second place, I would guess. Has to be, yeah. And, yeah, his back issues, that's, that's a very real thing. And that's something that definitely affects his performances, too. Like, you can tell just by looking at how he moves if his back is giving him issues going into the fight or not. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and, it, and it's really hit or miss with, with his back, like, Sometimes he comes in and and he looks great and he doesn't hurt at all. Sometimes he goes in and like it's in so much pain that you know he wants to pull out of the fight the night before. Like it's so I, I he really needs to get that fixed. And I, I don't know. I know he's going. He's gone through certain you know measurements to get it fixed. But you know going in there and fighting as often as he does isn't helping. So it's it's one of those things. It's like a double edged sword of like. He keeps fighting. He keeps getting these big fights. He keeps making big money. He's getting title shots, but he's not resting his back or doing what he really needs to do to fix it. Cause you know, he's going in there and, and fighting people instead of healing. So, right. you know, it's a double-edged sword there. I'm not saying what he's doing is wrong because hell, I mean, if he was sitting at home and healing his back, he wouldn't be getting this title shot against Daniel Cormier. So he's, you know, I, I'm happy for him, but that's, uh, that's a good point, though, man. I, I just you you can't have a bad back and 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 be out of shape against someone like Daniel Cormier. Like Cormier is just he's a monster in there, and 
Like, and to, to the point of how much of a monster he is, if and when he fights Brock Lesnar, he's going to kill Brock Lesnar. That's not even going to be... And I'm the biggest WWE fan that watches MMA in the fucking world. And Brock <laughs> Lesnar is, is toast if he fights Daniel Cormier. Well, uh, hey, so, when, you were, when you were talking about him, um, you know, being the greatest of all time, if not for John Jones, I, I completely agree with everything you said. And um, that... The fact that at heavyweight, this man's had, like, no problem with anybody, really. I mean, it's, it's Stipe's my guy, but, like, he knocked him out in the first round. I've seen him throw around guys like Josh Barnett and Bigfoot Silva and, like, just... Dan you know, Henderson, even even the lighter, but, yeah, great wrestlers. I, yeah. The best, best case scenario for Brock Lesnar is Derek Lewis wins this fight. Like... Oh, yeah, yeah. Brock needs to be at home praying Lewis somehow knocks out Cormier because I think that Lesnar beats Lewis. That's what's yeah. so cool about this whole scenario is like Cormier would would starch uh, Lesnar, but I think Brock could beat Derek Lewis. So like, oh totally, yeah, <laughs> get that big bull rush on him and beat him up. That would be it, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So who who knows what, what the heavyweight division is going to look like? And then also, I mean, John Jones, man, like I know he wants to fight at light heavyweight, going to come back and fight Gustafson, but. When he was taking that time off and he wasn't cutting weight and he was, you know, putting out those videos of him, hit, of him hitting mitts, you know, looking like he's probably weighing about, you know, two two thirty something like that. Yeah, is going to be. What's what the craziest thing about John Jones is that the guy hasn't even hit his 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 prime yet. Like we haven't even seen John Jones, the best John Jones yet. I honestly believe that. Like we're about to see a guy who's had essentially multiple years off to just sit around and heal and train as long as he gets the right people around him and gets rid of the people that, you know, cause I honestly believe he was innocent of this last time. Like I, I think he had something in his system, but I, it was such a weird scenario and like all the multiple tests that he passed versus the one he failed. And it was one of those things where I think someone actually did hand him something unknowingly. I really do. And he needs to get those people away from him keep the right people in his close circle. If he can keep his head on straight, John, like we haven't seen, this guy could have, I mean, think about how crazy this is. Like he's already probably considered, I mean, if you take everything outside the cage, outside of factoring out of this, John Jones is the most physically, athletically gifted fighter in history. I don't think that's even debatable. Like John Jones is the best ever right now already. And he is about to have, a completely new second half of his career, a whole nother career he could have at heavyweight. Like, we still might not have even seen anything yet from this guy. So that's really scary and really exciting to think about. Um, but he he needs to keep his shit together. Like, it, it's... I, I, I get, like, so, like, worked up thinking about this because, like, we're <laughs> literally seeing a guy in front of us who's the best fighter that we're ever going to see in our lifetime, probably. And all he needs to do is stop getting suspended. That's it. Just stop getting suspended. And then and show us what, what the best fighter of all time looks like. And, and I think that's what we're going to see. If he can keep his head on straight, John Jones has, an, he has another 10 years of fighting ahead of him if he wants to. And, and I think it's really cool that we get to see it. You forgot about uh, the real greatest fighter of all time, Matt Hamill, who holds a victory. Yeah, Matt Hamill. Dude, dude. And... <laughs> I, uh, you know, I like Matt Hamill. Um, it was, he was an, an inspiring story. Sure. <laughs> um, 
with him being, you know, deaf and all. It, that was really interesting to watch. And I really thought it was, it was interesting when uh, he beat Tito Ortiz, who was his coach on the Ultimate Fighter. I, yeah. That was fun to watch. But, dude, yeah, th- honestly, not, not that it matters, but John Jones could have appealed that loss and probably won the appeal because Hamill's quote-unquote illegal – or, sorry, Jones's quote-unquote illegal elbows. Yeah, the 12 even illegal so you know it's one of those things where he probably could get that that loss taken off his record but just never went through the uh the process of trying to do it so right i mean i remember watching that fight um it was uh it was on like spike or something oh it was an ultimate fighter heavyweights finale actually um and i thought john jones was going to murder Matt. like he was in mount position just crushing him with elbows over and over again he actually looked up at Big John McCarthy, I think it was, to say, like, what do you do? Like, I'm killing this guy. What do you want me to do? You want to call the fight or should I go ahead? And that's actually why he started throwing the 12 six elbows because he just wanted to do something different. And I don't know if you've ever um, heard Joe Rogan uh, tell the story. It was when he had Big John McCarthy uh, on his show or he just talked to him at one point and asked him, you know, like, it doesn't make any sense. You should be able to do them. It should be just part of the fight. Um, but they said when they were formulating the uh, rules for MMA way back in the day, they had seen the karate guy like breaking boards and like glass and bricks and whatnot using that motion. So they said that, oh, if you're doing if you're able to break all these things like bricks and whatnot, then that could that probably be fatal. Right. So that should be illegal. And that's why they put it in the rules that way. So it's it's a really stupid reason for it to be illegal. And I agree that um for him to have a loss on his record in a fight that he was completely smashing Matt Hamill, I mean, it was it was crazy when they called it, but uh, oh well. But um, yeah, I agree that um, almost kind of lost my way there. But uh, to go back to what you were saying about John Jones, that he's the best fighter I've ever seen. I've thought that since I saw him his first fight in the UFC that I saw, which was uh, versus Stephen Bonner was his second UFC fight. And um, if he just does all the right things, there's no limit to what he can do. And he could just destroy the heavyweight division for the next five to 10 years. If he does that, you know? Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to see him fight uh, Gustafson again, because that was, you know, by most accounts, probably the best fight in UFC history. If you ask most people and, I and a lot of people like they're they're looking at this rematch and they're like, oh man, I, I can't wait to see that happen again. Like, I don't think that that's what I think. John Jones is going to go in there and kill him. I think Jones is going to go in there. He's going to finish Gustafson within two rounds. He's going to go in there and just take out all the frustration, all the stuff that people were saying about that first fight with Gustafson being close, all this stuff. And what people don't realize is Gus. It's been longer since Gustafson fought last than Jones. Gustafson's has been inactive since before Jones was suspended. So yeah, pretty bad injury, if I recall. And where like Gustafson's been like, I mean, he looked great against Glover Teixeira. He knocked right. the fuck out in the fifth round when they fought, but that was a long time ago already. Like, it isn't like Gustafson's been just rolling and killing people and like waiting on John Jones to come back. He's literally just been waiting on John Jones to come back, and John <laughs> Jones is coming back with a vengeance. So. I think this is a bad idea for Alexander Gustafson. It's a good idea if he gets the win, of course. I mean, that'd be huge for Gustafson's career to get that W against John Jones, but I think Jones is going to come in to prove a point, and I don't think this is going to be the same kind of fight that we saw the first time. No, I agree. I mean, I think in the, in that first fight, 
um, we, we know the backstory is that Jones was partying, you know, like right up until the week of the fight and all that. And he wasn't taking him seriously. And I think Gustafson caught him off guard, you know, and I mean, uh, did get his attention and actually hurt him at one or two points in the fight. And that, you know, sprung him back into, OK, I need to be John Jones here and actually win the fight. Um, but the second fight, I mean, yeah, it's just uh, Gustafson is, is a great fighter. And I mean, he's one of the top uh, UFC light heavyweights for sure. But he is not as quick and not as smooth as John Jones in the way that he strikes. So, I mean, I think John Jones will be just a lot quicker to the punch and uh, just much faster overall and probably be able to just take him apart in that rematch. Yeah. So, but um, I think uh, we pretty much wrapped up the card, but uh, before we finished, I just wanted to get your opinion since we're both uh, wrestling fans and this is generally a wrestling podcast. Um, what do you think about Cormier potentially being a, a WWE commentator for SmackDown? I love the idea. You know, I, he's a longtime wrestling fan. And, right. you know, he's always talking about pro wrestling. Even years ago, you know, back when Seth Rollins was holding the Money in the Bank briefcase, Cormier was talking publicly a lot about how, like, Seth Rollins was his favorite wrestler and, like, he wanted to see Rollins win the title and cash it in. And then there's actually video footage of him at WrestleMania 31 when Rollins does cash in. <laughs> yep. Crowd and he's going crazy. It's so, really funny video, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's cool to see. Even before that, a really, really little-known fact, um, Daniel Cormier almost signed with TNA Wrestling like 10 years ago. Um, and he had actually trained to do some pro wrestling before he when he was in Strikeforce, before he ever signed with the UFC. He was very close to going to TNA Wrestling, and uh, it didn't wind up happening. He wound up going to the UFC, but he's been he's been right on the the brink of doing something in pro wrestling for a long time now, and now it makes more sense than ever. Whether he's on it, like honestly, I think that if Brock Lesnar, and this is why this ties into Cormier doing commentary, because I think if Brock Lesnar fights. Daniel Cormier in January. Like, if that fight still happens, I think the rematch happens at WrestleMania. I, I think we see Buck <laughs> and Daniel Cormier run it back in pro wrestling. Because, because why not? You know, they could they could easily do a work a work shoot against each other. So, oh, for sure. um, yeah. You know, I think it makes sense because you get Cormier in there on the commentary table. You know, people get familiar with him. He more and more right. about the business. He gets to be backstage with the people who can teach him the most. And it gets him ready for a, a match against Brock at some point, I honestly think. And even if it doesn't lead to something against Brock, I think it's a good fit for Daniel Cormier and for the WWE to have to have somebody like Daniel Cormier on their roster in, in any capacity, I think, is, is valuable. Oh, yeah. But, uh, I mean, to your point about the potential match between him and Brock, I mean, I can see it. Picture if Daniel Cormier is, you know, in the booth for three to six months or something like that, all of a sudden – some night Brock shows up and just calls him out and comes over and starts his ass, you know, and then obviously you just, you'd be off from there. It'd be, it'd be perfect. Uh, especially the way that Cormier is a great talker. And he, he could amp himself up even more with uh, uh, being in WWE and whatnot. So it sells itself. Um, it just made me think uh, in terms of him, like cutting promos on people. Have you ever seen uh, in the one post-fight press conference where uh, Ryan Bader came in all upset and he started cutting a promo on him. Yeah, yeah. He was when he was saying, like, yeah, I want the easiest fight in the division. I want Ryan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's going, I said, 
bring me Ryan Bader because I just want an easy paycheck. <laughs> and that really cut him well, off. Well, now, now it's a fight that I, I think everyone really wants to see with, with how great Bader's looked over in uh, Bellator. Like, you know, he's the light heavyweight champion in Bellator. He's most likely going to defeat Fedor in the, in the finals of the, uh, the, the heavyweight tournament. He's about to be, he's about to be the yeah. champ champ over at, over at Bellator doing what Cormier did over in the UFC. So, like, now that fight actually makes a ton of sense to do. But now they're in different organizations, and Cormier says he's going to stop uh, fighting, you know, by March of this year. So probably never going to happen. But at the time, it was funny to hear that. But now, it's and looking back, it's like that actually – that's actually a fantastic fight. Yeah. I mean, hey, but trade. Let's do another trade before Cormier retires. We'll just take Ryan Bader for one fight and fight Cormier. So. I like it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you're right, though. I mean, amongst uh, the landscape now of 205ers, I mean, besides John Jones or, or Gustafson, he basically is the next best thing, I would think, you know, and, and they haven't fought before. So, yeah, uh, but also. But, uh, completely random point but like when you it's something i think that your listeners would be interested in hearing especially if they're not that familiar with the ufc but are you know familiar with professional wrestling you know we're talking about 205 pound fighters right like daniel cormier and john jones and alexander gustafson these these fantastic fighters some of the best fighters in history even even looking farther back uh chuck waddell randy couture Vitor Belfort, you know, all those guys, like the pioneers, 205, Vanderlei Silva. This this was the division, Shogun Hua. I mean, you can keep name oh, after yeah. name. And these men weighed 205 pounds. There's a show called 205 Lives that WWE does that nobody cares about because they, because they <laughs> pigeonhole these guys as being too small to be stars. Well, right. I just talked about a whole bunch of people who are making a company millions upon millions of dollars and they weigh the same and their skill sets are just as good as anybody else, but they're not being pigeonholed as being too small. So I, I think that that goes to show like when you see 205 live in the WWE, you're like all oh, these little cruiserweight guys, but it's like, no, that's what Daniel Cormier weighs. You know, like that's, these, these aren't little guys. They're literally for one bit on scale. Played, uh, played. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. It's just food for thought, food for thought for anyone who's listening to this, that, Things that cruiserweights are too small, like some of the biggest UFC fighters are, are a quote-unquote cruiserweight size. So it's interesting to think about. That's a good point. I mean, I remember when they used to call the uh, uh, light heavyweight division UFC's glamour division because you had all the stars in it. And uh, that was maybe about 10 years ago, I would say. But uh, it's kind of in a weird spot right now. But maybe coming back uh, with the guys they have right now. But um, just to Cormier uh, to WWE, like uh, like you said, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I enjoy him as an analyst for the UFC, and I enjoy him on the pay-per-views. And obviously he's he brings the knowledge uh, of, of what he speaks, being one of the best fighters of all time uh, when he does UFC pay-per-views. And I think he would be just as good uh, in, in WWE because he is a big fan, as, as has been documented over the years. And, and it's just something I think would be right up his alley because – he would be, you know, he's a pro and he's good at being on TV, but just like you and me, he's just a big fan and he would get genuinely excited about seeing a lot of these things unfold in front of him. So I'm with it. And, I, and I've heard that um, SmackDown, when they go to Fox, Fox would like them to be presented more as a, uh, like an athletic competition than, a, a, you know, any sort of jokiness. They want them to tone down the, uh, the comedic bits and stuff like that. And I think that's, I think that's awesome. I think that's the direction they should go. Yeah, they should definitely go that direction. It's, unquestionably i mean i wish the whole the whole wwe product would do that you know we 
you pretty much see it with NXT on a, on a consistent basis. They're, that's pretty much what they do. And in my opinion, they put on the most entertaining show of any of the WWE brand by far. Like I'm, I look much, much, much more forward to NXT takeover shows than anything that the main roster does. And I know that those are few and far between, like those are once every few months, but even the NXT, uh, the tape show, I think is is great. I, I love the the one hour format. I've I've heard rumors that they might move it to two hours soon or an hour and a half. But either way, like it's a shorter show, and it's all based around the competition and getting to a championship. And and I think that that's like I'll put it I'll put it like this. Like I, I've been watching professional. I'm 30 years old. I've been watching professional wrestling on a consistent basis since I was like five or six, and up until very recently i always felt like the wwe championships meant something like if you were the wwe champion it was a big deal like you were the face of the company like it it, it really really mattered and so mm-hmm. years back jbl got the title and like i kind of started souring on it because i was like wait a second how can you just go from being just bradshaw to like now you're the champion like there was a build-up like how did how does this really work? I mean, obviously I knew it was, it was predetermined, but it was like before it seemed like there was such a standard for the champion. But even after that, I was like, you know what? His title ring was pretty good. It was long, but it was actually pretty good in hindsight when you look back on it. But then last year, a man named Jinder Mahal was handed the SmackDown Heavyweight Championship. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't, there's no value for me anymore. It, it was killed. Like, the WWE title means nothing, in my opinion. I love AJ Styles. He's arguably the best wrestler in the world in any company still to this day. But the title that he holds means nothing to me. Like, I don't care who the WWE champion is. I don't care who the Universal champion is. Like, I hope Roman Reigns gets back. I hope he gets better. Like, the leukemia thing is terrible. Like, I... I'll bring this up, too, since I'm talking about it. And since this is a pro wrestling show, usually, and I don't know how many people are going to put their opinion like this out there. I give serious credit to the WWE and to Roman Reigns for not bringing this up earlier as a way to get the fans behind him. Because because he's had leukemia for 11 years and nobody knew. And year after year after year after year, they pushed this guy down our throats to make us try to cheer this guy, and it never worked. And honestly, all they would have had to do, they could have done this four years ago if they wanted to, and said, hey, you know, it's October, it's, you know, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, we're talking about cancer, we got Connor's Cure, we got this and that. Our own Roman Reigns has actually beaten leukemia and it's in remission. If people knew that, automatically he starts getting cheered. You know, because people are going to start sympathizing to like, oh my God, Roman, we didn't know this. Like Roman Reigns had cancer? Like this is, this is, this makes you look at him in a completely different light. And Never went that route, and I got to give him credit for that because, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's one of those things that's like they tried to do it on their own, and he tried to do it on his own, and now it it got to a point where they had to say something about it because it's so bad that he has to leave television because of it. But when he returns, and I believe that he will, I think he's going to kick Cantor's ass and come back. When he comes back, he will be the biggest hero babyface in the history of pro wrestling. And I, and it's one of those things, it's just such a weird way that this has all unfolded where this was the handpicked guy that everything they put, everything they did, nothing worked. 
But the one real life thing about him that nobody knew is what everybody wants to cheer him for now. It's, it's such it's such a weird anomaly situation. And even on top of that, what's so odd to me is once again, I've been watching this for like twenty five years, and I can't remember. You correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't remember one time in my life, whether it was WCW, ECW, TNA, WWE, New Japan, even. I mean, it. Anywhere. I can't remember any of the performers that I watch having to take time off because of cancer. I can't remember ever happening where it's like, hey, this guy had to leave uh, TV because of cancer. And it happened to the biggest star in the sport. Like, I can't, like, the, the chances are just one out of a billion, I feel like. You know, so <laughs> it's like, I was, I was caught so off guard by that, just like everybody else was. And I want to take this time, since I have the platform with you guys, to throw those thoughts out there and let everybody know that, like, you know, support Roman Reigns. You know, if you don't already, if you still have something against the guy, like, we all need to be on this guy's team and have his back right now. Like, this is, you know, Roman Reigns, the man that, this is the guy that we didn't know about. Like, like everybody who was sitting around, like, why is this the chosen one? Like, why is Roman Reigns being picked? Why does Vince McMahon love this guy? Well, Vince knew this stuff. We didn't. You know, Vince knows the man that Roman Reigns is. Vince knows that he's had these battles. Vince knows that he's beaten cancer and that he's, like, doing this for his family. We didn't know this, and now we do. And and we all need to get behind the guy. Right, and, I mean, to your point, it, it's interesting because, you know, Roman Reigns is the one thing, the one guy that Vince has wanted to work more than anything in the last four years. And it's not like they didn't have the opportunity to use this to get, you know, sympathy and get people on his side. Cause every single year they do the Connor's cure. They do the, uh, you know, every October is breast cancer awareness month. So they've had countless opportunities to, to mention it. And I mean, yeah, now it's obviously at a point where it's uh, cropped up again and he needs to uh, fight it off and get it back into remission and, and to take time off to do that, unfortunately. But um yeah, I'm with you. It's it's just a crazy uh, set of circumstances, and and uh, obviously, you know, as as I tweeted out the night that it aired, um, only best wishes and good vibes to Roman Reigns, uh, aka Joe Annoy, uh, for sure. That um, it, it hit me too in, in an unexpected way because you know, as we've talked about on the show before, you know, we weren't always fans of of how he was booked and always shoved down your throat and everything, but th- we never had disrespect for the guy himself or his abilities or anything like that. I always thought he was a great performer and, and wrestler and whatnot. But uh, then when you hear this from somebody that you've become really familiar with over the last four or five years, it's like, and that he's portrayed as you know the Samoan Superman. And to know that even somebody like him can be affected by cancer is like, it's a shock. It's like a gut punch, you know, like, oof. And um, it, it really hit me pretty hard because I actually know somebody personally who's, who's going through cancer right now as well. And just, it you know to somebody like that on tv as well it's like man you know this has it has no bounds and uh, if you know anybody that is suffering from the awful disease then uh, you need to get behind them 100 percent you know because uh nobody can do it by themselves and and when you support them it, it really means everything yeah it's terrible man and i i mentioned it on my on my podcast as well when i was talking about it the other day but um you know, not that I'm looking for the sympathy, but like, you know, I've, I've lost my mother, my grandmother and my aunt all to cancer. Like, so it's something that mm-hmm. it really hits home for me because I, I have a lot of family members that have, have lost that battle. And 
and it, and it doesn't matter who you are. Like, like to your point, Roman Reigns. Like, Roman Reigns, it's the same fight that anybody's mom or aunt or, or brother or sister or, you know, aunt or uncle or whoever. Like, it, it doesn't matter who you are. Like, this is something that it attacks you. And you got to figure out a way to beat it. And even the people that, like I mentioned, like my mother, for instance, like I say she lost the battle, but I mean, she fought it for like five years. I mean, it did pretty well up until the end. So it's one of those things where like, you know, it's something where I really believe with Roman Reigns, especially like you got to think the, the positive light light that I put on it. When I think about Roman Reigns, is this guy beat cancer when he was 22 years old, when he had no money, no help, nothing, and he beat cancer. He's about to be fighting this thing with the best doctors in the world, with the WWE behind him, with millions of dollars in his bank account. Like, he has all the advantages that anybody could possibly have to defeat cancer. So I think, you know, given the circumstances, nobody ever wants to have to deal with this, obviously, but he at least has a lot of help around him to to get this done. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, given all the factors that that you just said, I I have every confidence that he is going to beat it and be back. And you'll never even know that he had it. You know, I'm sure he'll be back to 100 percent. I don't know exactly how long, but, um, you know, obviously you just hope that nothing's guaranteed. But um, I got to believe that Roman will come through this and be just fine. Yeah. I agree, man. And it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting to see too on the on the actual pro wrestling WWE side. It's gonna be interesting to see what they do to try to uh, fill the void with Roman being gone. Like if they're gonna you know push Seth Rollins to that spot or you know switch it up and you know get Dean Ambrose in that spot, even though it'd be you know as a heel versus a baby face or like that. I'm interested to see what they do. Like who they. Braun Strowman, I mean, I guess would be kind of the obvious, the obvious choice, I guess. But like, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because there's also with with cancer, there's no, there's no ETA, you know, there's no time frame. Like, this could last a few weeks, this could last a few months, this could last a few years. So, it's going to be really interesting to see with you know the WWE, WWE putting all their all their eggs in the Roman Reigns basket over the last you know five years or whatever. Like who who do they put in that spot now? Like do they do they give the belt back to Brock just for him to not be on the show again? Like what what do you do? So uh, that that's I mean, interesting to think about. You know, I would like to see a guy like uh, Drew McIntyre uh, get a shot. Who maybe they think is like still a year or eighteen months away from really being that guy. But you know, I know they see it in him. Otherwise wouldn't have brought him back to the spot that he's at so you know when you get these unforeseen circumstances and opportunity arises you know why not try it out see how it goes that sort of yeah thing, i like know? the idea of mcintyre you know i i really like the idea of mcintyre and stroman because i they, they're clearly building to that so i don't i don't know if that means like stroman's gonna win the belt you know if he's gonna you know win the vacated belt at uh, crown jewel or if or if you know Brock's going to win the belt and they're still going to do Strowman and McIntyre. I mean, I think best case scenario is Strowman wins the belt at crown jewel. And then uh, his first title defense is against McIntyre. Like I'd, I'd like to see that, but uh, there's a lot of options, man. There's, there's a talent. I mean, they got talent on NXT that's that's just ready to go. I mean, Adam Cole, I've been saying for a long time, Adam Cole is, uh, could be the biggest moneymaker in that company. If, if they, 
book him correctly. Yeah. Or do you call up a guy like uh, Alistair Black, you know, I mean, somebody who's already been the NXT champion, I think is main roster ready, you know, maybe you put him with somebody like a Paul Heyman or somebody, you know, that could uh, be a mouthpiece for him. I've heard that talked about. Um, There's a lot of options. So, I mean, not that, um, you know, uh, Roman having to go away was was a good thing by any measure, but um, it it just opens things up and, and makes you think in ways that that you hadn't before now that there's a, a new set of circumstances going forward, you know? Sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. Inter- but, interesting um, times in the, uh, the world of professional wrestling for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, it was just making me think, I was like, man, we're, we're, uh, we're done with our MMA portion of the podcast and everything, but, uh, heck we should have you back on uh, sometime soon in the future to do like a weekly WWE thing, or maybe like a pay-per-view, uh, preview or something like that. That'd be fun too. You know? Yeah, man, just let me know. Um, I gotta get out of here here in just a second to cover for your listeners um i do cover the uh, the hawani show which is the the number one i guess kind of news outlet of mixed martial arts every week every monday um on twitter at on point mma i transcribe the uh, the interviews essentially so oh. i'll be doing that here in about a half hour gotta get ready for that but uh if you're a fan of mixed martial arts uh, definitely check that out and, and follow along i do that for all the, the major ufc shows as well and Usually the major Bellator ones, if, uh, if it's a big enough show. So um, that's what I'll be doing. But, dude, I'll, uh, I'm definitely down, man. Uh, just let me know, and I'd be happy to come back on and talk some pro wrestling soon. Awesome. Sounds good. Sounds good. I mean, you kind of just said uh, what you're going to be doing. But, um, yeah, basically, thanks for coming on. And if you want to throw out any uh, additional plugs with uh, what you got going on, go right ahead. Sure. Might as well. Uh, my personal Twitter is at FightTalk underscore. That's at F-I-G-H. T-A-L-K underscore. My Twitch channel is twitch.tv slash fight talk underscore. That's a lot of fun. Um, I love Twitch. Like, I usually play like EA Sports, UFC 3, uh, I have Fortnite, uh, Madden. I don't have the new WWE yet, but I'll probably get it within the next couple weeks. Um, but yeah, I play a bunch of games on there. I'm on camera while I'm playing the games. There's a chat box so like I can interact with people while we're playing and it's a lot of fun. You got a lot of graphics and stuff for when people subscribe and donate and the whole deal. So it's it's a lot of fun. Once again, that's twitch.tv slash fight talk underscore. Um, you can catch my I, – I basically do a, a news story about once a day related to MMA at MMAonPoint.com. I work for the, uh, the YouTube channel MMA on Point, and uh, the Twitter, once again, is at OnPointMMA. Instagram is at MMAonPoint. Um, my merchandise is at whatamaneuver.net. You can find t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, all that good stuff. And any money I make on the website goes directly back into my podcast and back into my Twitch channel. So it just all gets re- reinvested into the stuff that I do for you guys. And uh, that's, uh, that's probably about it. That's all I can really think about. And thanks for having me on the show, man. I really appreciate it. And it's always good talking to you. And it was great seeing jt at nwa 70 so if he listens to this hope you're doing well brother good good to see you hope to see you again soon oh yeah for sure i know you had a good time uh, seeing you down there as well and uh real quick speaking of twitch have you gotten into a uh, red dead redemption 2 yet i have not yet um the only reason is because i've heard i've heard it's a great game but i heard it's super slow so like i don't know if it's something that i'll want a game on twitch or not but I might, I might pick it up. Have you tried it yet? 
Yeah, I, I picked it up on uh, the Friday, the release day, and I played it uh, for maybe like two or three hours. And I can attest that at least it, it does start out pretty slow. But I mean, it's super like interesting and entertaining. But there are times where you're just kind of like, OK, like, I don't know whether I'm ready for a, a nice nap or I should go on to the next uh, you know mission here. But um, I'm sure it picks up some. But I mean, it, it is beautiful. I mean, it's obviously it's in the newest technologies of 4K and everything. If you have a 4K TV, it looks fantastic. So I'm definitely going to get into it more, but um, it is kind of slow. So <laughs> but anyways, um, I don't want to hold you up or anything. I'll let you go. And uh, thanks again for coming on the show. And Everybody enjoy the fights this weekend. We'll talk to you soon. See you later. Thanks again, man. Yep. Take care, buddy. Bye.